Welcome to Public Health Out Loud, Public Health for the Public. I'm Dr. Jim McDonald, Medical Director of the Rhode Island Department of Health. And I'm Dr. Philip Chan. Welcome, everyone. Dr. Chan, great to be with you again today. And I'm excited about our guest today, Dr. Teresa Zink. Our, our episode title today is COVID Chronicles. And it's a fun story that Dr. Zink wrote. And I was just thinking of that old Dr. Seuss book, Oh, the places we go, the people we meet. It kind of reminds me of my job here at the Rhode Island Department of Health. I do go interesting places. I meet interesting people every day, but I go virtually these days. I only go virtually, it seems. And we're going to be meeting Dr. Zink today virtually as well. So Dr. Zink, welcome to Public Health Out Loud. We're thrilled to have you. And I'm excited about your book, The COVID Chronicles. It's, it's fun that you wrote a book. I think this is really cool. How Essential Workers Cope. Um, but Dr. Zink, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so thank you for having me. So I'm a family physician. I'm a clinical professor at Brown in family medicine in the School of Public Health. And I have actually spent most of my career in the Midwest, um, have been in Rhode Island for three years and started writing uh, about 20 years ago after I had done a mission without Doctors Without Borders and my boss head of mission was kidnapped after a month. So after we got through that, I had been an English major, had started keeping a journal in a creative writing class back in high school. And I realized that writing was my way to process life's experiences, particularly that one. And so I've really been, been writing ever since and helping, um, helping students write as well. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Zink, and thank you again for joining us. I do want to welcome you. You know, the more I've learned in medicine, the more I've come to appreciate family medicine uh, over time as a specialty. And uh, perhaps another time you can tell us about your uh, stories for Doctors Without Borders. It's something I almost wish I had done uh, when I was younger. But uh, so we're here to talk today about the pandemic, and you wrote a book. And I've often joked to Dr. McDonald that, uh, that we should write a book when this is all over about our experiences. But tell us a little bit about uh, what you've been doing during, during the pandemic and, and why you wrote a book about it. Well, as I uh, said earlier, writing is the way I process uh, life's experiences. And when the pandemic hit, I was actually in uh, Palestine, in Nablus, the heart of the West Bank, on a Fulbright Award. I was working with faculty development uh, in a uh, family medicine department, and a Korean church group uh, went to visit the holy sites, and lo and behold, they brought COVID. Um, so I actually learned about that uh, when I was walking to the university, and a, a teenager stopped me and said, Corona's here. And I thought, Hmm, Corona. Uh, I was thinking of the beer, but you know, it's a it's a dry place. Uh, being a um, a Muslim uh, country, and we're really in the heart of the West Bank there. And then I realized he had been talking about the virus, and uh, with that, things slowly began closing down. And this was uh, in February. Um, I was able to stay, and uh, until they started canceling flights home from. Uh, from Tel Aviv, and I actually passed through JFK the day before New York City closed down, so I was feeling pretty lucky. Uh, when I got home, of course, I um, quarantined and started listening to the pup call every uh, week to get up to speed, 
and uh, then talked to Providence Community Health Center, where I work as a per diem doc, and started doing telehealth for them. And uh, as I started talking to patients and, and telling them that they had uh, positive COVID results, uh, I learned very quickly the difficulty that we were asking many patients to do, particularly many of the health center patients have big families and are living in two and three room apartments or homes with one bathroom. And how do you quarantine from six other people? Uh, you know, how do you make sure you have food? Uh, and I realized that this was going to be a challenging process. And then uh, a couple of months later, my 57-year-old uh, sister with Down syndrome and my 90-year-old mother who were in assisted living came down with COVID. And uh, trying to manage that from a thousand miles away, I, you know, I was in the middle of it with my feet in two different worlds as a provider and then as the daughter and sister. And so writing is how I, how I process and try to make sense of this. And, you know, what I was really looking for is how do people cope? Uh, yeah, I, love, that I love that, Dr. Zink. That's great. Like one of the things I really hear you're talking about is that resiliency. Like one of the things I'm hearing you tell me is the, one of the ways you process the grief of the pandemic is through writing. And that's demonstrating some of your own resiliency. And the COVID Chronicles is actually a collection of stories. You know, as you and I chatted earlier, you went virtually at times and sometimes in person, but virtually, I guess, a lot just to talk to people. And I want to hear a little bit about your experience with Susan, a school nurse from Minnesota. Um, can you tell me a little bit about Susan? Because I understand she learned it was better to laugh than cry. And I think a lot of us can identify with that. Right. Susan was a delight to talk to. And so I really, you know, cast a wide net with my uh, network. And uh, Susan is a school nurse and she went back to school when her kids were all in school and studied nursing and was working on a, a pediatric hospital. Uh, and as a new nurse, uh, although she was in her 40s, she was on the night shift and that didn't work very well with her kids in school. So she went to school nursing. Um, so it would have been uh, in the fall, you know, before we learned about COVID that winter and, you know, was getting used to her new job uh, as a school nurse. She had chosen it because it gave her a little bit more flexibility with kids. She'd have her summers off. Uh, and she said uh, once they went to online schooling, she had a brand new job and how to figure out how to manage that at home. And like many other moms, not only was she doing her full time job, she was also trying to help her kids do distance learning. Uh, and um, thank God for her sense of humor, because she said she was doing a lot of work in the driveway with a mask on. Uh, trying to manage a daughter who had some vision uh, problems, had had uh, some special help in school. And when Susan finally slowed down enough to really help her daughter, she realized her, her daughter had undiagnosed ADHD and was having a very difficult time with with uh, online school. And so she managed that, um, uh, a lot of laughs. She gave herself the worst mom ever award. Um, and then uh, as COVID evolved and they were back in the classroom, she was trying to get up to speed on how to help the uh, staff, 
uh, know when to use PPE. Uh, and one of the funniest stories was that she had to collect sputum from the faculty every couple of weeks. And uh, before they could do that, they had to go online and register. And the Department of Education had set a link and she was getting emails that people were having trouble with this link, but she ignored it because she was too busy trying to get her asthma action plans in place and figure out how to deal with the kids who couldn't wear masks. And when she finally looked at the link, she realized it was a link to a sexual dysfunction uh, questionnaire. And mm. the men, the male teachers had carefully filled it out. You know, what do we know about COVID? Something new was happening every day. And it was the female teachers who complained. So once she learned that this was the wrong link, she uh, quickly changed it, but uh, had a good laugh in her uh, office. You, you have to laugh at that. You really do have to laugh at that. It's just one of those things where it's like, oh my gosh. But it's like, ay, 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 ay. It, it's a pandemic. I guess weird stuff still happens during a pandemic. Um, Dr. Chan, bring us into the next issue here. Yeah, and I was just thinking, Dr. Zink, as you were talking through that, uh, you know, so many strands in there. First, it's acknowledging school nurses, right, and the role that they played during the pandemic. I mean, how important is that? I have a nine and a 13-year-old and, uh, you know, have just, uh, you know, again, seen the invaluable uh, work uh, that school nurses have done. And of course, you touched on mental illness as well, which has uh, been a theme for so many people and, uh, you know, you know, skyrocketing rates during the pandemic, which of course is, is understandable. And just, again, encouraging people to reach out to their providers that they need. The, one of the other stories I think in your, in your book uh, that struck a chord as well was uh, Marcella, a medical assistant from Mexico who works at an FQHC in San Diego. And for those of uh, listening who may not know an FQHC is that's basically a community-based clinic, uh, safety net in a lot of communities. Uh, we have them right here in Rhode Island. They're in every state. Uh, basically, a community, a community clinic. And Marcella was uh, uh, was someone who um, who has a story of resilience and hope and a 13-year-old daughter coming of age story. Tell us a little bit about that, Dr. Zink. Yeah, so medical assistants are a really important part of the medical team and uh, and really don't get paid very much. And Marcella worked in a clinic in uh, San Diego and she lived in Mexico because it was cheaper and also because her husband had did not have a visa to come into the U.S. He had been deported. So if she wanted to have her family together, uh, she would uh, get up at one o'clock in the morning, uh, pile her two kids in the car and cross the border. Her mom uh, lived in the U.S., was one of the cooks at one of the best breakfast and lunch cafes in San Diego, and they would sleep a little bit more at mom's, and then she would drop her kids off at school, and she would go to the clinic, um, and the one silver lining for, the, for COVID was the line to cross the border was a lot less, um, you know, if we can look at silver linings, but COVID is contagious and she came down with COVID and she said her teeth were chattering and her back pain was 10 out of 10. Um, and of course she was in Mexico. Her physician who was in San Diego was very worried about her, but in Mexico, she went with Mexican treatment, which was very different from what uh, they were doing in San Diego. In some ways, they were ahead of the game and that they were getting uh, blood thinners. Um, she did not need to go in the hospital, but she was also treated with uh, uh, chloroquine, which, uh, which our um, president number 45 was uh, pushing as a prevention. Um, but Marcella did recover. 
uh, Anne was back at work. Uh, unfortunately, it was on her, her son's fifth birthday, and he was quite upset because they couldn't have the usual huge celebration with mom and grandma and all the aunts and uncles, uh, which was so typical. So Marcella, I asked her, you know, how did you, how do you keep, how did you keep going? You know, this is, this is a very tough time for lots of people. And she said during the worst time of it, she would just get in the shower and cry. She had one room that had a bathroom and so she could isolate in there, but she felt so bad because her 13 year old was really responsible for cooking because dad had to work. He was an essential worker in transportation. And so the 13 year old had to get the her brother online for school, had to do the cooking. And Marcella felt so guilty about that, uh, that all she could do was get in the shower and cry at times. But, you know, I said, what keeps you going? And she said, you know, it's my family. My family is everything. Um, yeah, Marcella's a powerful story, isn't she? Like, you know, one of the things I think about is like, even before the pandemic, you know, she demonstrated so much resilience because she's a medical assistant, but she gets up middle of the night, goes to her mom's, wakes her kids up again, feeds her kids, gets her kids to school. That's before the pandemic. Like, you know, and I think that just highlights Dr. Sink, so many people's normal is a harder normal than a lot of other people's normal. Um, it, it's just a powerful story. Uh, Dr. Chan, I mean, when you listen to the story of Marcella, you know, Dr. Chan, what runs through your mind here as you think this through? Well, the first thing that ran through my mind was how easy uh, I have it. Um, and, you know, we all, I, I think one thing, Dr. Zink, too, that your book touches on, right, is that everyone has their own story in general. And for me as a physician, uh, certainly a physician in the community, you know, this is one thing that I try to remember as I see my own patients, which is uh, not to judge, to understand that everyone comes from a different uh, perspective, a different background. And frankly, that people just have it a lot. A lot of people, I think, are barely coping at times. And I try to be sensitive about that. And especially if people are upset to me, uh, at me, directed towards me, I just try to be understanding and I try to meet people where they're at and do what I can. And that's really guided my philosophy as a physician. Sounds like Dr. Zink that that's sort of uh, your guiding philosophy as well. Absolutely. And I think writing this book was a wonderful reminder for me because, you know, like everybody else, I was pretty frustrated with the lack of ability to move around. Um, you know, at least I could get outside, but um, you know, I'm somebody who likes to be out and about and you know, that, just wasn't something that you did. Uh, and then I heard Marcella's story and some of the other people I interviewed and I thought, oh my heavens, why am I complaining? <laughs> so, um, I mean, that, you know, that to me is one of those things that resonates with me is I think like Dr. Chan said, I think my life is so easy compared to a lot of other people's lives. And I think that's something that all of us can reflect on a little bit. It's like, you know, and, and this gets to me a concept. It's like sometimes the worst day for me is still way better than the best day for somebody else. And, and it's just way of putting a little perspective around this. There was other stories you wrote, and one was a, a little bit of a, a local story. So you talk to people all over, all over the country, but the story of Ben is local because Ben's actually a podiatrist in Providence, Rhode Island. So right here. But what's Ben's story? I understand he's a podiatrist, but how is Ben a podiatrist involved in our pandemic here in beautiful Rhode Island? Yeah, so um, so Ben is, uh, was tapped by um, the medical director at uh, Providence Community Health Center, uh, Andrew Saul, uh, because Ben had 
um, military experience and was very good at creatively planning and implementing uh, things. And uh, Dr. Saul wanted to set up the COVID tent because there was really no easy access in the uh, center of Rhode Island. Uh, you had to have a car uh, in the early days to get a test. Um, and so he tapped uh, Ben, Ben's a pseudonym. And uh, this podiatrist uh, went into his wood workshop and created a platform on which to be able to be a one person tester because Dr. Saul said, I can't spare a nurse. You got to do this on your own. So he created a wooden contraption about the size of a cutting board that would hold the plastic bag and the tube and keep the cap from blowing away as uh, he went and gathered the nasal pharyngeal swab. And uh, Ben did about a thousand tests and then said to Dr. Saul, you know, it's going to be time to retire here. So uh, Dr. Saul recruited a number of different uh, screening newbies. I was one of those um, who Ben uh, oriented to his process of doing things. And he was great to work with. He played Spotify and would choose the tunes that you wanted to hear um, and had made a... Um, had every day had gone home and written down notes about some of the highlights of the people he tested. And he had a great sense of humor. He said that the nasal swab was the great equalizer, you know, mm. whether people were driving yeah, a BMW or, you right. know, whatever their eyes watered. Everyone says it's interesting. You know, if you're getting your, your nose swabbed and especially when you're talking about the nasal pharyngeal swab, it is the great equalizer, but if you can have your own tunes from Spotify that is just gourmet right there. I mean, Dr. Chan, did anyone actually allow you to pick songs when you had your NP swabs? I did not. No, but we know music is such a powerful uh, mood enhancer in times. And uh, uh, as, you were as you were talking there, Dr. Zink, I do want to give a shout out to Dr. A Andy Saul, certainly, and the rest of the team at Promise Community Health Center. They really have done an amazing job uh, here in Rhode Island. And I know that they've been working nonstop uh, during the pandemic. Um, the other thing, too, just uh, to, to going on to this next story here, Dr. Zink, I, from what you've briefly touched on, it does sound like you're a world traveler. I know that Dr. McDonald, too, has traveled the world. Uh, I myself have uh, done clinics and different projects uh, in different parts of the world as well. But one thing I'm reminded of uh, is that the, there are significant disparities right here in the United States as well. And certainly, Dr. McDonald and I have touched on that here in Rhode Island. But one thing, I do some work uh, on HIV and uh, other sexual health disparities uh, in the rural South. And I think your next story about a, uh, a physician in the rural South and some of the challenges there, I am reminded that despite all things, uh, you know, here in Rhode Island, at least, is that we have a pretty supportive uh, government, right? We have very supportive government, actually, and leaders, people that tend to be evidence-based, data-driven, et cetera. And I'm not sure it's like that everywhere. So tell us a little bit about Jackie, uh, physician in the rural South, and some of the challenges that, that they've had. Yeah, so uh, just another shout out to Dr. Saul. It's been a pleasure to, to work with him at Providence Community Health Center. So Jackie is a family physician who is uh, working an hour away from where she grew up and where she trained. And uh, as we all know from the news, mask wearing is has been a bit more of a challenge uh, in the South. And that was also true where she was. In fact, the teachers very wanted 
very much wanted a mask mandate uh, within the schools in that region and the school board voted it down. And so Jackie, who was a you know true uh, primary care physician paying attention to her community, wrote a editorial for the local paper that said, shame on you. Uh, you know, we need to think about prevention here. Uh, shortly after that, the governor did mandate masks. But, uh, you know, Jackie was in a rural clinic. Um, they were uh, working pretty thin when nurses were out to quarantine. They had a tent, uh, two flights uh, downstairs outside where they could swab folks. But one of the uh, clinic staff had to run down and do that. Uh, she said they were never really wanting for uh, adequate uh, PPE, but but they're not necessarily always wearing the protective masks. And, uh, you know, invariably she'd be sitting and talking to somebody for 20 minutes and then realize, whoops, I need to screen them for, for COVID. Um, and, she, you know, she was uh, very much kind of in the heart of a, a tough uh, battleground. And she was alone. She had uh, planned to uh, use 2020 as a, a time to put herself out there and hopefully find a a husband, a partner, and had to put that on hold. So she was very uh, creative about uh, building uh, networks of supports uh, through through the internet, as um, you know, Facebook um, and zooming friends and old contacts. And one of the people who really uh, was her go-to was Grandma. Um, and of course, she didn't want to see Grandma because she. One, didn't want to run the risk of infecting grandma with COVID, but when she was feeling frustrated, she'd call grandma and grandma would um, listen. Uh, grandma uh, only uh, completed eight years of education uh, because at the time she had to stay home and help her mom. But uh, Jackie said that, you know, grandma listened even if she didn't really understand the issues and would always bring it back to God. Um, and Jackie said in the South, you really have to talk about uh, God uh, with patience. And, you know, she would say, you know, God's not going to make this virus disappear. We have to use our sense. Um, but, you know, we have to trust here. Uh, and she also talked about the role of the uh, Black churches and helping people wear masks and uh, do the proper things and was also hopeful that they would help encourage people to take vaccines as well. Mm, those are really powerful messages there. And I think you know, underscores a lot of key principles there. One, the power of community and just the power of one person just advocating too and just, you know, kind of just doing the right thing. It's so, so Dr. Zeke, it's been fun to talk about the COVID Chronicles, how essential workers cope. And I see it's available on Amazon, some other places. I noticed the Kindle version is only $5. So that's pretty affordable, but this wasn't your first book. I see you've written some other books. I'm looking at um, some of these other texts around. One was The Country Doctor Revisited. A 21st Century Reader, um, which looks like a very interesting book. And then there's also, if I'm not mistaken, Confessions of a Sin Eater, A Doctor's Reflections. And then the last one I saw was Becoming a Doctor, Reflections by Minnesota Medical Students. So certainly a lot of books out there that, that you've written. And I, and I get the impression this one was as much helpful for you as it will be for those who read it. It's a wonderful story of resiliency and just human interest. And I think you know, one of the things I think you're illustrating very well is we all are going to have to resolve this pandemic in our own mind eventually. And we've all gone through this population trauma and are still going through the population trauma. And I think to some degree, we all need to resolve what this pandemic has really done to us. What did we lose over the year? 
you know, for some it's been losing their lives. For some it's been time in the hospital. For some it's been just being sick and missing work. For others, they've missed prom. They've missed graduation. For others, they've missed friendships. They've just missed life in so many ways. Um, so the pandemic has taken so much from people. And it's interesting at this critical time where the variant is on the rise in the United States of America, all the more important for people to really just wear their masks, stay six feet apart and do their best just to ride through while that race between the vaccine and the variant continues because it is a foot race right now between getting as many people vaccinated as possible and the rise of the variant. Dr. Chan, we're coming to a close here. I usually go to you for our final word today. Dr. Chan, what's the final word for today? Thank you, Dr. McDonald. And I do want to thank Dr. Zink again for, uh, for uh, spending time with us, sharing those stories. And uh, thank you, thank you. And good luck in your travels as well. It sounds like uh, hopefully in the near future, we'll be getting back to some balance of normal. But in closing, I do want to leave folks with a moment of Zen to consider throughout the rest of your day. And here it is. Sometimes you face difficulties, not because you're doing something wrong, but because you're doing something right. So keep up the good work. Thank you all. Be safe. Dr. Jim McDonald, Medical Director of the Rhode Island Department of Health. I want to thank Carol Stone, our Technical Director, and Jose Garcia, our Executive Producer. Thank you and have a good and keep up the great.